We turn now to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we continue our consideration of 1 Corinthians. We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and we'll be reading verses 5 through 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 through 15. This is God's holy word as the Apostle Paul was inspired to write these words to the church the Christians in Corinth. And so this is the very word of the living God. Let us attend with reverence to its reading. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. And may he bless its reading, its exposition, and its hearing. Well, for a while now, I've been reading uh, to our little girls uh, from a book titled, A Treasury of Children's Literature. Uh, oftentimes I'll read it to them when they're uh, in their high chairs or now their booster seats. They're, they're excited. They're sitting in their booster seats now. And uh, I'll give a little story that doesn't have much to do with the sermon here, but just to, to note uh, what a, a great change uh, it was when we told them, or really Kim explained to them, uh, that... Uh, big girls want to sit in booster seats, and but you have to stop dropping your food off of your high tray or high chair uh, to before you can be considered a big enough girl to be in a booster seat. And they immediately stopped dropping the food off of their uh, high chairs when they were uh, off the tray and when they were in their high chairs. So uh, now as they're they're in their high chairs or now their booster seats, sort of captive audience there for uh, supper or dinner in the evening. I, will read often from this treasury of children's literature to them. And some time ago, we read a story that I'm sure all of you have heard before, probably various versions of it. Uh, we call it The Three Little Pigs. And you all expect know the story. I'll give the, the brief version here. Of course, there are three little pigs. They set out to make their way in the world. One of them builds a house of straw, and the second builds a house of sticks, and the third builds a house of bricks. And, of course, it's only the house of bricks that the big bad wolf can't blow down when he huffs and he puffs. 
at least one of the lessons that that story seems to be trying to communicate is that we should build our lives of lasting things and not of things that can easily be destroyed. Well, if we were able to trace the origins of that tale, I would not be surprised. I'm not saying that I know this as a fact, I'm just, I'm just guessing. And I wouldn't be terribly surprised if it had something to do with the passage we just read from Scripture, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For here Paul uses two analogies for the gospel ministry, one's from agriculture and the other one's from construction. And uh, the one from construction has an application that's pretty similar to that of the three little pigs, about building our lives, in this case our spiritual lives, of things that are lasting, that will last into the world to come. The last Sabbath we saw how Paul rebuked many of the Corinthian brethren for their lack of progress in the things of God, for their lack of growth in the Christian life. They had stunted their own growth, so to speak, and were still thinking and acting in many ways as unbelievers would think and act. One symptom of that was the petty divisions that existed in the congregation that Paul's been talking about off and on throughout the whole letter so far, over who their favored teacher might be. Some saying, I'm of Paul, and some saying, I'm of Apollos, and others saying, I'm of Peter. And Paul said, for when, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Are you not being, as we saw last time, fleshly? Are you not acting like your old sinful selves instead of like a new creation? And from there, Paul then launches into this passage about gospel ministry as carried about, out by himself and particularly Apollos, who spent a lot of time in the church in Corinth after Paul left. And Paul teaches several things here. Number one, the Lord gives faith. So it's not the teachers that we learn the gospel from that gave us the faith. It's God who gave us the faith. Number two, God gives growth in the Christian life. So again, it's not the teachers, but it's God. This is what we call progressive sanctification as we become more like Christ over time. That's God's work within us. Number three, therefore, all who faithfully teach the word of God share one ministry. It's not the ministry of Paul that we can favor over the ministry of Apollos or the ministry of Apollos that we can favor over Paul. It's one gospel ministry. Fourth, some gospel ministers, yes, are going to focus on evangelism. That was mainly Paul's focus. And others on shepherding those who have been evangelized. Those whom Christ has saved. And that's something Apollos did. Paul did it himself as well, but his focus when he was in Corinth was on the evangelism. I preached Christ, I desired to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And now Apollos is following up and watering. Paul said that that's what Apollos did in his time in Corinth. Number five, the foundation of the ministry of the gospel is Christ. If you're not on that foundation, you're not in the church. And six, good gospel ministry then builds sound doctrine on that foundation of Christ, the foundation of the true gospel. There are two sets of applications we're going to see from this information. One is for teachers, the other is for all of us as Christians in the church. For teachers or those who would aspire to teach in the church, lay only the foundation of Christ, lay only the true gospel as a foundation, and then be careful not to keep Christ's people focused only on those 
shallower things, only on those initiatory or those new things or those, uh, those basic things, the milk, as we saw it called last week. To use the language from last week's scripture, feed Christ's sheep solid food. Yes, bring them back to the milk of the gospel, but feed them also on solid food. For all Christians, of course, this tells us to share the pure gospel with others. It's not only the ordained ministers in the church who are to share the gospel with others. It's all of us as the church collectively are called to the Great Commission. And we can do that in various ways in our own lives. But we share the gospel with others. But share only that gospel, that true gospel, not other messages. And then, of course, in your own life, and as an example to others, build on that gospel foundation things which are going to last into the world to come. Eternal things, and not merely things of temporal, of worldly, of earthly value. So let's make our way through the passage. We'll see these things come out, I think. Uh, Paul teaches here, number one, the Lord gives faith. He writes, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. You believed as the Lord gave that you would believe, right? And that word ministers there, by the way, when as it's translated here in the New King James Version, it says we're ministers, Paul and Apollos are ministers through whom you believed. And it's through whom, not because of whom, but it's through them that you believed. That word ministers there, we're going to see another word used for servants later on uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. But the one here is diakonoi, uh, the plural for the word from which we get deacon. Now, Paul's not talking here about the office, the ordained office of deacon, but uh, this is a, a generic word just for being a servant, an instrument. The verb form of it is waiting tables. Usually it's translated as waiting tables. So somebody who serves others. So to emphasize that he and Apollos were merely instruments of the Lord in this. So if you think of using the waiting tables analogy, you're Usually your waiter is not your chef, right? Uh, He's just bringing things from the chef to you. And Paul and Apollos were not the chef. They didn't create the gospel. They didn't create the faith in the people. They, They were the waiters bringing it to their table. They did not give faith that the believers in Corinth possessed. They were merely God's servants. They were his instruments for awakening and building that faith as the Holy Spirit worked within these people. It was God who gave the faith. The Lord gave Christians the faith which caused them to respond to that gospel that these servants brought to them. Whether it was the initial belief or the growing in the life of faith as they were being nurtured in it. Paul could only accomplish his role in this, as he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me. This is God's work, not man's work. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The antecedent of that there is, the word that it's talking about is faith. Some would argue that it's grace, but then you're uh, kind of redundant to say that grace, which is a gift, is the gift of God. Right? <laughs> the next words, it is the gift of God. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But either way, the only grammatical way to, to 
break that down would either to be to say that grace plus faith uh, is the gift of God or just the faith is the gift of God. So either way, we have to include faith in that statement. The faith that we have is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. In Psalm 22, verse 9, David writes, you, he's talking about the Lord, you, the Lord, made me trust while on my mother's breast. That's another way of saying you gave me faith. In fact, uh, at least one of our translations in our metrical Psalter says, gave faith while on my mother's breast. The Lord is the one who gives faith. Number two, God gives growth in the Christian life. So our initial faith is from God, and also the growth in that life of faith is from God. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Many translations actually just say God gave the growth. That can refer to increase in numbers as the church continued to grow, but more importantly, it's clearly talking about the growth of individual Christians, their increase in godliness, which in his parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of that, the yield that is 30 or 60 or 100 fold after the gospel has been planted as a seed in fertile ground in the heart of a believer. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes as the gospel is preached and it's planted into a heart that's been changed by the Holy Spirit and it grows as God's word is expounded to those same believers. So just as it is God who gives the faith in the first place, it follows that God is the one who gives growth in the life of faith. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. That's the beginning of the agricultural analogy that I mentioned that that Paul uses here. An image or a metaphor from farming. A while back, this congregation generously had some landscaping done at the manse so that our front yard looks a little nicer than it used to look. The landscaper came and he did various kinds of work and one of the things he did was plant grass. And Kim and I watered it and we watered it some more and we watered it more and kept watering it. Now neither we nor the landscapers created the grass. We didn't give life to the seed that allowed that it could germinate We didn't cause the grass to grow. We just simply were instruments for planting the seed and watering it. We were secondary agents. God gave the growth. Those of you who farm have to rely on God giving the growth every year. Multiple times a year in some cases. Likewise, servants are used by God to plant gospel seeds... And to water them. Sometimes it's the same servant. Sometimes it's different servants. Just like the landscapers planted and we watered. But it's God who gives the growth in the Christian life. So number three then, therefore all who, are, who faithfully teach the word of God share one ministry. It's not Paul's ministry versus Apollos' ministry. It's one ministry of God. It's not Paul against Apollos, so you can say, well, I like Paul better. No, I like Apollos better. It's all the same ministry. It's God's ministry. 
which he has entrusted to these servants, which he's carrying out through these agents that he has sent into the life of the Corinthians. Many Christians will speak of my ministry, but I prefer to avoid that language. That's not to say that I haven't sometimes slipped and said it myself, but I I really do consciously try not to say, this is what I'm doing in my ministry, or something like that. It's not my ministry. If I'm doing it right, it's Christ's ministry. It's God's ministry. I don't have a different ministry from Kyle Borg or Jonathan Haney or other men who've been in this pulpit. Ron Graham, who preceded me as the pastor of this church, or J.G. Voss, who was several decades back, or any others in between or before. It's the same ministry. It's all one gospel ministry if we're working faithfully as Christ's servants. Look at verses 7 through 9. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Right? There's one ministry. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. So faithfully serving in that labor, you'll get a reward according to it. We'll talk more about rewards here in a little bit. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So up there to the point where he says you are God's field, he's using that agricultural analogy. So uh, Christians are like a field, and God has planted through a gospel minister, and God has watered through gospel ministers. But it's one work of God through those instruments. Those who preach and teach God's word are fellow workers who each belong to God. They're fellow workers in God's ministry. They share the same ministry of the gospel. See how silly the divisions in the Corinthian church were then in light of that? Paul's saying, look at what you're doing here. It's one ministry of feeding Christ's sheep. Number four, some gospel ministers are going to focus on evangelism. Paul planted. It's basically what Paul did at Corinth. He did watering too, I would note. But his main focus was, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to be doing the, the basic gospel ministry. Others are going to follow up and focus on shepherding those whom Christ has saved, helping them to get deeper into God's word, to conform more and more to God's revealed will, as they learn to live out the scriptures. Apollos was a major servant of God in that ministry. Paul did that kind of watering in his long stay at Ephesus, where he could tell the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Mostly Paul went around the Roman Empire, especially around the Aegean Sea, in the lands of ancient Greece and what would be now Greece and Turkey and some other nations uh, around that, around those two modern states. Others like Apollos, so 
While Paul is going around planting churches, you have other people who follow up like Apollos and later Timothy and Titus. He left Titus on Crete. He left Timothy in Ephesus. And many other of of whose names we know only a few remained in those churches that were established by the apostles and pastored them, teaching them the whole counsel of God's word. So while the apostles and other early Christian missionaries were planting, others came along and watered. So in this case, Paul planted, Apollos watered. As Paul says in verse 10, According to the grace of God which he has given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. So there he had transitioned just before that to saying you are God's building. You're God's field. Now he's transitioning into talking about uh, a, or using a construction metaphor. So he's using the analogy or an image of construction. Somebody has to lay a foundation before you build a house on it. Uh, I don't recommend this, but try, try building your house without a foundation someday. <laughs> it won't be around for very long. You have to have a solid foundation, and you'll also notice if you ever watch a house or any other building being constructed, that it almost looks like they're not doing anything for a long time, because they've dug in the ground, and they're, they're working and working and working, and you can't see anything visible happening for the longest time, and then finally one day, it looks like there's a foundation about completed there. And When they get that foundation done, then all of a sudden the rest of the house just seems to go in no time, as long as the weather cooperates. You know, they, they zip, the house is there, but... You have to have that foundation laid, and it has to be the right foundation, or the rest of the construction project is not worth much. But it, here, Paul transitions to talking about construction. And some gospel ministers are going to focus on laying the foundation, on planting the seeds. Others are going to be focusing on shepherding the sheep afterwards, on building the rest of the house, or helping you build the house. Shepherding those whom Christ has saved. Number five, the foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul planted, Apollos watered. They're engaging in the same gospel ministry, but there's a focus on laying the foundation, a focus then on the rest of the building. But that laying of the foundation, what foundation can you lay? Well, it had better be Jesus Christ. It had better be the true gospel of Jesus Christ, or it's like the silly person who builds a house without a foundation, without a solid foundation. The foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So in addition to the things I'm going to focus on here, we also note that if you're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you'd better build things that Jesus likes on that foundation. But first Paul notes, in other words, there's no other possible foundation for the church than Jesus Christ as preached in the authentic gospel. That's the milk that Paul talked about It's the first part of this chapter. In verse 2, the message of Christ crucified, which he desired to know nothing other than among the Corinthians. The preaching of Christ 
the true Christ for who he truly is, is the foundation of all gospel ministry. In Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus actually says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man, who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was that fall. Those who by God's grace heed Jesus' gospel call, made through his servants, are standing on a solid rock. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Remember Paul's words about the gospel in Chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ. So the gospel, Jesus crucified, is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The message of the gospel, the foundation of the Christian life, is Christ Jesus himself. Christ alone, through the preaching of his gospel is the foundation on which his people stand. So number six, good and true gospel ministry builds sound doctrine on that foundation. If you're not building on that foundation, it doesn't matter what you're trying to build of. Gold and silver and precious jewels, right? It doesn't matter. You can build all kinds of good works on a foundation other than Christ, and you know what they count for for your eternal life? Absolutely nothing. Think of the analogy, of the, uh, the metaphor that... Uh, Augustine of Hippo used to talk about our our complete depravity, our total depravity. Notice it's not utter depravity, it's not that we're as bad as we can be, but we do note that the scripture teaches that we are depraved and that sin has touched everything about us. So that if I am not forgiven in Christ and I do things that even God says are good in scripture, I can read the Bible and say, God, and see, God likes this, that I honor my father and my mother. So I'm going to work really hard, I'm going to honor my father and my mother. And you know what? There's something sinful I'm bringing along with that. So that as I seek to honor my father and my mother, God also sees more sin than he saw before. And so he's rightly angry with my sin. But if I refuse to honor my father and mother, God, God is rightly angry with me for refusing to do what he commanded. And so I'm hopeless. But if, on the other hand, I'm in Christ, and Christ has paid the penalty for my sins, now if I seek to to honor my father and my mother, that sin that I bring along with me, God has already counted as paid for. The penalty for it is dealt with. It's, it's, a, it's gone. He sees my good deed and he will reward that. Once people are on that solid foundation, what are they going to build on it? Paul writes in verse 10, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. He's warning their teachers as well as all of us. What doctrines are teachers proclaiming that people will build on the gospel foundation? Are they proclaiming things that are going to keep their growth stunted, keep them focused on this world? Wood, hay, and straw? And then also, what are you and I choosing to build on the foundation that we have of our salvation in Christ? Verses 12 through 15. Now, 
If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. It's the day of judgment we're talking about here. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Uh, Here's where the three little pigs story seems to connect. That illustration comes in. When a person is a believer in Jesus Christ, he or she is on a solid rock. So you've got a good foundation for the house you're building. You're standing on a solid foundation if your trust is in Jesus Christ. As verse 15 says, anyone standing on that solid foundation will be saved. No question about it. The question here is, what are you going to take with you into the world to come? What will she or he bring into the everlasting kingdom? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And note that he's using a, a Semitic uh, turn of phrase here, a type of rhetoric here. He's not saying you should never lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Don't, don't have a retirement plan or something like that. Uh, what he's saying is, let, let your focus and your concern be on these eternal things. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what are these treasures that we can lay up in heaven then? Well, the same thing, it's clear, that Paul means by his metaphor here of gold, silver, and precious stones in verse 12. If we look at the context, we can see it's closely related to the same things that we saw last week that he calls solid food in verse 2. The deep things of God in chapter 2, verse 10. Of course, these treasures consist not just of the knowing of these deeper things from Scripture, but in living them out. So you learn God's will in Scripture and live it out more and more. James one twenty two tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, just deceiving yourselves. If you only hear the word, only have intellectual knowledge, you're deceived to think that you're growing in Christ. But as you put it in practice, you are indeed growing in Christ. In John 14.21, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As with the three little pigs, you can be, I can choose to be like those little pigs who built houses of straw and sticks. And of course, the big bad wolf came along and he huffed and he puffed and he blew their houses in. We'll be there. We'll be in the kingdom through faith in Christ. We'll, but we'll be like survivors of a house fire. Alive, but with no possessions Or, we can be like the little pig who built his house of bricks, right? We can build of gold and silver and precious stones, as Paul says here. And through faithful service to Christ, through keeping ourselves focused on Him and not uh, on our earthly concerns, yes, there are earthly concerns we have to deal with wisely, but we keep ourselves focused on the kingdom, 
that we lay up rewards in heaven as we serve Christ. These are things that will last beyond this world. So our applications come in two sets then. One is for teachers, for those who would aspire to be teachers in the church. And the other is just for all of us. For teachers in particular, pastors, elders, those who might have an aspiration to that office. Number one, lay only the solid foundation of Christ by preaching the true gospel. It doesn't matter what's built on it if it's not that foundation. Preach Christ and Him crucified. First Peter says in Acts 4.12, There is no other name, that is the name than Jesus Christ, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. No way to be saved apart from Jesus and faith in Him. But then B, be careful not to keep Christians focused on those basic things. Teach them the basic things and then teach them deeper things or see that they are taught deeper things. So often you'll hear of ministries where uh, people will send missionaries to some remote part of the world and they'll come back and they'll say, we we gained 15,000 converts. And they haven't done anything really to follow up and make sure those converts are shepherded. Then more missionaries go to that same part of the world and they say, we gained 12,000 converts. Well, there were only 20,000 people in that town, so <laughs> you got 15,000 one time and 12,000 another. What? That doesn't add up. By some ministries' calculations, all of South America is Christian right now. and We, you can't, you'd be, we may as well just quit sending missionaries because they're... They're all Christians? No. Oftentimes we have false professors. We also see that in many of those cases, nothing is done to follow up. So people who convert, I say in air quotes, one time convert another time, and they convert another time, and they convert another time. When missionaries go back, they had this phenomenon in northern Europe at the end of the Middle Ages. The Viking Age ended and it was the gospel, really, that ended the Viking Age. But as that uh, period was, was happening, as the gospel was going into those Scandinavian countries, missionaries noted, and pastors who followed them up noted this phenomenon where uh, lots of people seemed to get baptized. Once they started checking into this, there were lots of these people who were get, had gotten baptized multiple times. What, what was going on? Well, they were giving everybody a baptismal white shirt every time they went to get baptized. And so the guy would go and get baptized, and then his shirt would start to wear out, and so he'd go get baptized again to get a new shirt. <laughs> I'm thinking that there was probably some cynical, non, uh, actual not conversions going on there. You know? These were not genuine conversions in some cases. <clears throat> but certainly we need to build on that one foundation, the true gospel message, but then also get people deeper into it. There has to be good follow-up. Get them deep into God's word. Return from time to time to the milk of the gospel, but also get them eating that solid food. Get them into the deeper teachings from Scripture. Then for all Christians, that was an application for teachers. Here's for all of us. It's not just for ordained teachers in the church to share the gospel. Share the true gospel, the pure gospel of Jesus Christ with others around you. There's no foundation but Christ. But then in your own life, and encourage this in the lives of those whom you've shared the gospel with, build on that foundation things that will last into the world to come. That doesn't mean that you have no focus, no no concern for your earthly life. 
provide for your family and things of that nature. But be focused more on the things of God. By righteous service to Christ, you can lay up treasures in heaven with which he will reward you. This is not justification by works. This is only for people who are already justified by faith in Christ. All those who are already counted righteous. Serve Christ, and he promises a reward in the world to come for those who serve faithfully. Build those things as gold and silver and precious stones. Notice he doesn't even bother talking about bricks and stones here. He says, this is like laying up gold and silver and precious stones. You're building a house that is not like a house that you would see on this earth. It looks so much more beautiful. Things of gold and silver and precious stones built on the foundation of your salvation in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord our God, we do thank you for giving faith and growth in the life of faith. That we know that that is one ministry of the gospel. And we thank you for that one gospel ministry as preachers evangelize and shepherd your sheep. Cause us to lay that one foundation of Christ and to build on it rightly things that will last into the world to come. For we pray this in the name of the one who is the foundation of your church, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.